0: Well, it's good to be back. I heard we had two really great Sundays the last couple Sundays. I can hardly wait to, to hear more about them. My family and I uh, took some vacation time, and this last week we actually spent time in D.C. We decided to brave uh, DC over the Fourth of July with the crowds and the heat because we figured ah oh, it's a once in a lifetime chance to see uh, fireworks on the Capitol Mall up the top corner picture there is actually a picture uh, my wife might not like this but that's the back of her head in the bottom corner there uh, we were actually at a at the national concert that was televised uh, uh, televised and we got to see Josh Groban and and uh, some guy from Glee. And I uh, got to see Jordan Sparks. And, and then there was this one lady who was... From, I can't even remember her name. Boy, she had a voice like an angel. It was amazing. And then Steve Martin. I had no idea that Steve Martin had a bluegrass band and played banjo so well. I mean, he is amazing. And it was just so much fun, and we got to see the National Cathedral and spent a lot of time on the Mall, and and uh, we were blessed with the privilege of having a Capitol Dome tour. Which, you know, I thought it was just going to be, you know, you're going up in the dome and getting really close to the frescoes in the top of the Capitol Dome. No, they actually let us go out on top. That picture there, about 20 feet up, is the statue on the top of the dome. It was amazing to see. It was a really great time. I think it was the last night we were there. We're tired back in the hotel room with uh, feet really sore. And I, I, I don't know, do you ever do these inane things? These just, you know, they're, they're really meaningless types of things when you're really tired. I sat down, I got my laptop out, pulled up Google Earth, and I mapped where I thought we had walked the entire week, and it was like over 40 miles in just a few days, and, and the standing, man, I thought I wasn't going to be able to stand. In fact, I actually was tempted to have a seat today because it feels like my feet are still still uh, recovering. But there's one thing that uh, really stood out to me in the concert that, that really has to do with today. You know, we walk through the security, eh, I get my umbrella confiscated because the Capitol Police don't like umbrellas. But they also don't allow alcohol in there. And so you got these, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 people on the Capitol lawn sitting there at their blankets and their picnics. And, 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 and the concert starts. And I look around and there's just tons of people just exuberantly dancing. You're seeing little kids just dancing. You're seeing little infants just squealing and dancing. I mean, it was just such an amazingly joyful experience in time. And it brought me back in memory to uh, myself when I was a kid. Now, now most of you who know me very well have probably experienced me to be this kind of just constantly steady, not too high, not too low. And that, that's kind of how I've come across people for years. And, and it's served me well in some settings. But, but i got to tell you, I wasn't that way when I was a kid. I was this kid who lived life with the full range of emotions, an entire heart full that just spilled out wherever I wanted to go. I mean I and, and most of it was laughter, most of it was fun. It was it was expressed physically, verbally, and 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 you know, it got me in trouble sometimes too. I remember one time in first grade, we'd done really good. So the teacher uh, the teacher decides uh, at the end of the day to say, you know, um, we're going to play a game. And, and see, uh, I'll tell you in a minute the, the more about that, but the, the way I usually got in trouble, this is while we lived in Dandy, Minnesota, a little small town in central Minnesota. Um, the way we usually get, when, what usually happened when we got in trouble back then, which, which I, I still don't quite understand the logic, it worked, but it really doesn't make sense, is if you got in trouble, they sent you out in the hall in a corner by yourself, unattended, in the hall. It's like rebellious kid, out of order, kid needing discipline, and you put him by himself. It's just, I don't know, that, it worked, but it doesn't make any sense, does it? So anyway, the teacher says, you're doing a really great job, we're gonna play this game, and this game that she said, I don't even remember exactly what it was, but it was kind of this, this game that was kind of a cross between here we go around the mulberry bush song and duck duck goose, and I jump out of my chair, and I dance around my desk, singing at the top of my lungs. And I didn't get to play the game. I got to experience it in the hall. You know, I lived with a full heart, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe some of those things needed to be tamed. But, but, I started asking myself the question in preparation for this message. But even, even more than that, just over the past. Couple of months, I've been I've been addressing this whole thing in my own life, where I feel like I live I live in a narrow range of emotion. I don't I don't experience everything that God wants me to experience emotionally in my life, and and I'm actually not just for this message, but personally, focusing on that, even going to counseling on it for the last four four plus weeks to try to to figure out how to be even more free to recapture some of what I lost because. You know, when you think about it growing up, I want to say growing up, but I'm not sure it's really growing up. I I think it's mainly just growing older because growing up has this connotation that we get healthier, but I think sometimes when we grow older, there's these things in our life that happen that, that cause us to... To, to not live wholeheartedly, to not, to not really experience all the emotion, all the joy, even all the pain that God wants us to, to express and, and feel. And I don't think it's just me because i talk talked to many of you and I've, I've done enough counseling over the years to know that most of us really struggle with living in our emotions. And, and many of us live in the limited range of emotion. We were much more exuberant, much happier, much freer at some point in our life, but now we live in this limited range. And, and, and even for some of us who don't live in a limited range, maybe, maybe we don't experience as much joy or as much up as we used to, and, we, and the times that we experience that are up are less than they used to be, and we tend to experience more flat and more down in our lives. So I don't think it's just me. But what causes this change in our ability to experience life with a full heart? Now, you can probably think of many things. Uh, uh, Here are some that I've reflected on. You know, for me, even just going back to that first grade experience, sometimes the way we express joy really isn't appropriate. I probably needed to change. You know, dancing around the desk and disrupting the class and doing those kinds of things, which was usually what I got in trouble for. I usually wasn't bad, except for a couple times I put tacks on people's seats. But other than that, I wasn't really bad most of the time. You know, but but there was a clear message sent to me about about my expression and my joy back then. It was it was the clear message that, that if you're cool if you're going to be accepted, then, then, then you have to be cool and you, you have to be steady and you can't be too excitable and you can't be too down. You just got to be strong. You got to be steadier. Or maybe maybe it, uh, some of it, I think, even comes from the expectations that we have of, of what it means to be a man or what it means to be a successful woman, that, w- that we're these people who, who need to be strong. We need to be able to go through difficulty and come out the other side and, and like it doesn't phase us. And, and there's even definitions of leadership that would, that would impose upon us the idea that a leader is the one who's the most steady, the leader is not the most excitable, neither are the ones that go down in the depths as much, they're the most steady through, through difficulty, and, and maybe there's a measure of healthiness in some of those definitions, but we admire people who go through really, really difficult circumstances and somehow are still able to live fully in the present and fully wholehearted and, and be completely joyful and even laugh in the midst of difficulty and, 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 and be excitable and, and, and feel... We admire those people and yet and yet we sometimes have definitions that limit that range or... You know, some of it could even be the way we're wired. If I, if I take an, a, a behavioral assessment test or a personality assessment, it always comes back with words like like, like steady, good in conflict, and, and unflappable and determined or whatever, and persevering. And, and there's some of you who maybe come out with, uh, with personality inventories and, and just your natural bent, the way you're wired, is to kind of look at the glass half empty instead of half full. You know, I and mean, there's just a little bit of the way we were wired sometimes that even comes into this and, and get ans, am, amplified. And, and for some of us, maybe it's even just religion. Religion at times has told us that feelings are to be disposed of, especially if they're not acceptable feelings, that we're not supposed to feel those things and we're supposed to get rid of them. And, and all those things come and cause us to, to shrink our ability to live fully alive in the moment Maybe it's just the pile on of expectations and the fact that you can't, you can't, you don't ever seem to be able to measure up or the disappointments or the pains that pile on. And, and it makes us live in this range and it, and it defines for us that anything outside this range is unsafe. And so we don't go there. We don't live there. And sometimes it's just as simple as our press to succeed are pressed to drive through life and be a success. I, I, one evening while we got back from walking around the mall and we turned on the TV and there was this, there was this interview going on on TV of the founder of Oracle and another big-name businessman in town. And, and I looked at their life and from their own words, I heard them living in this limited range too. They described four marriages apiece. They described the fact that that they just kept having to do more things to gain a sense of joy, a sense of pleasure. And the one guy, he built a $100 million estate that is just, I mean, you see it on TV, he's trying to pursue joy and he's trying to pursue pleasure and that doesn't work. So he he decides to become a pilot and he buys himself these fighter planes and wouldn't admit it on national TV, although he kind of implied that he actually dive-bombed the Golden Gate Bridge, which means you fly under it, which is illegal. He wouldn't admit that, but but they know he did it. And, you know, you start start going after entertainment and and thrill-seeking. And the interview made me think of of Solomon in the Bible and his struggles to live an emotionally healthy life, his struggles to understand how to experience joy in life. And we see him journaling on his struggle and summarizing that in Ecclesiastes 2. And And he says, I thought in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure. He's talking to his own heart. He's talking to his own self. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolishness. And what does pleasure accomplish? So he says, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. Now this is a very calculated guy. A really wise person. One of the wealthiest rulers in all of the world. And all of history. And he's going through this with this wise experiment saying, I'm going to do everything everybody else says is fun and silly and foolish that should bring joy. And he's analyzing it the whole way. And he said, I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. So I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of trees and fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs and water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. The delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all of this, he says, my wisdom stayed with me. He's analyzing all of this. Does it really bring me joy? He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done... And what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless—a chasing after wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. You see, Solomon bought the flat-screen TVs. He brought all the electronic toys we could ever want. The boats. He brought. He 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 didn't just buy the tickets to the theater and the tickets to the shoe. He bought the theater and he bought the shoe. I mean, this guy did whatever he wanted. And he still didn't come to a place of joy in his life. What are the things that have dampened the purity of joy in your life? What are the ways you're seeking joy that just never quite gets there? It just always falls short psalm 43 is written by an author we don't know for sure some people think it's king david but this we know for sure about psalm 43 it was written by a person who is a spiritual leader and a political leader of great stature and he's wrestling with this whole process and, and actually giving a model which we'll look at a little bit more as to how to discover and live a life of joy and he writes in, in psalm 43 saying vindicate me O god and plead my case against an ungodly nation. O oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. And then I will go to the altar of God. To God my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre I shall praise you, O oh, God my God. Why are you in despair, O oh, my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. We've been looking this summer at a satisfying drink just like we would on a vacation to replenish ourselves and by sitting and staring at a beautiful mountain or an ocean or, or something beautiful. We've been looking at the names of God. And, and in this passage, we see another one revealed. That God is a God of exceeding great joy. That's how he describes himself. In fact, the word, which I want the Hebrew word, which I won't even attempt to pronounce here, means great mirth. It means dancing. It means joy. It means rejoicing. It's this word that's deep. It's it's physical and it's emotional. Do we see God that way? Do we see God as being exceedingly joyful and wanting us to experience that same thing? When we look at him like we sit looking at a beautiful mountain or a beautiful ocean or like I sat looking at the fireworks going off after over the Washington Monument and, and, and just drinking the beauty and the grandeur of that in, do we look at him and do we experience a satisfying drink, drink of exceeding joy? Do we believe he wants that for us? Or do we live our our lives stuck in the idea of sacrifice and losing our lives for Christ and taking up our cross and following Him and being willing to take on the burdens of others and sacrifice for others, which are all biblical truths that He invites us to. But these sacrifice, these losing, these pain, these, these service times of our life are meant to be passed through, experiencing in the midst of it the very nature of God. And he says here that my nature is I'm a God of exceedingly great joy. The NIV translation alone has over 500 words that describe happy, joyful, uh, rejoice. And there's only 158 words of sadness like mourning or, or tears. And what that means is the Bible is primarily a book of joy, reflecting the very nature of who God is. But why is our picture of him so often distorted, thinking of him as sad or somber or sober or serious? You know, I was, I was in the National Cathedral looking at some of the amazing icons and art there. And, and, and as I started to think even more about all the pictures of Jesus, the majority of pictures of Jesus we see, we see him as, as being this very in control person, this very strong, narrow, narrow emotion person who's somber, sober, serious, and much of the artwork actually depicts him at the most painful times of his life and the difficult times of his life. And yet if we focus exclusively on the pain, we get an incomplete picture of who Jesus is. Hebrews says, for the joy set before Him, He endured those times. In suffering, He was joyful because of what it was going to mean for Him and for us. And God wants us to see Him that way, as a God of exceedingly great joy. We need joy in our life. It's not something that's optional. It's not something that if we get it, it, it's fine. It's it's a core need. If we don't have joy in our life, we live life overburdened. If we don't have joy in our life, we live overstressed. If we don't have joy in our life, we live depressed lives. Even the studies say that joy makes a person more creative and more productive in their work environment. Life without joy is no fun. And if we look at This whole thing of joy, we need to look at the book of Philippians. It's this this little book in the New Testament. Just four short chapters. But in it, the word joy or rejoice is used 16 times by Paul. And I want to highlight, you won't won't get an acrostic very often from me, but we're going to have an acrostic today of joy that's going to highlight Paul's wisdom to us and how we learn to experience joy this God who describes himself as exceedingly joyful and wants us to experience his very nature. First one for joy is J, and it's just simply this, it's jettison. We need to learn to throw things overboard. Like like if you're in a boat and, and you're you're sinking, what do you do? You you, you you get rid of excess weight, right? If you're in a plane and you're losing altitude, you may get rid of excess weight. And, and, and jettison means to abandon or as worthless, to discard or to eliminate, to get rid of. And Paul says to us that if we want to experience joy in our life, that we have to have this habit in our life of jettisoning some things of, of chucking some burdens overboard and getting rid of them paul says to us to jettison the regrets about our past we've all got this past over here and we've all got regrets in fact there's a there's a funny story that about sir arthur conan doyle of sherlock holmes fame uh the story i don't know if it's a legend or story but it's a very common story about him that he was and it's well known that he was a practical joker he used to love to do pranks on people and they weren't always very nice one of the pranks that he did one time was he he sent a note an anonymous note to a number of very important individuals in england and the note simply said this he said all is found out flee at once and within 24 hours they were all gone from england each of us has things in our life, regrets in our life that if they were known here, if they were exposed here, it would make you want to walk out of the service right now. And we live with those regrets, those things, the, the shameful things of the past, the things we're embarrassed about, the painful things that happened to us that we wish never would and affected us so drastically. And we, didn't, we didn't deal with right or, or haven't been able to cope with or the embarrassing things where we, where we were told you shouldn't, have, you shouldn't act like this and we didn't meet others' expectations to be tough or we failed. And all these regrets begin to define us. They're like, they're like weights in the bottom of our heart. And when we have this weight, we start to that remains in our heart, this line moves up and cuts off part of our heart. The problem with regret is it doesn't work. It can't change the past. We live with these things in our heart now that we don't want to face, that are painful, that we don't want to look at, that we can't manage to resolve, and and they just live there. They just settle in our heart, and they stay there. And we regret them, and we cope with them oftentimes by just avoiding them and trying to put them out of our mind. And Paul says, what do I do? What do we do with this? Paul says, he speaks to regret in this way. He says, but one thing I do. One thing I do, he says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. But forgetting, jettisoning some of these things is difficult for us. Because we don't really understand what forgetting and jettisoning something means. It means that we have to at least first start by looking at it. You can't get rid of something. You can't forget something you haven't already looked at and taken a look at and looked at. You don't jettison something from a sinking boat unless you actually pick it up and you decide its importance. You take time to look at it. You pick it up. You resolve what you can. And and if you can't resolve it all, after looking at it, deciding it, you chuck it and you leave it in the past. The author of Psalm 43 models this for us. Psalm 43 starts by by the the author taking time to look at the pain of what's going on in his life. He he looks at the wrong accusations that are being said about him, the things that are hurting who he is, that, that 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 are untrue about him, the attacks on him, and he takes time to look at them, takes time to actually pen them out, ponder them. He doesn't ignore it. He looks at it, he feels it, and he says, God, would you vindicate me? And then he moves on and he examines the message or the lie of what that's telling him about. And he says, and the lie to him that he's accepting in this, in this accusation is that, is that I'm not worth God's acceptance and protection. He says to God, why have you rejected me? Why are you allowing my enemy to overtake me and oppress me? So he deals with the lie that he's so tempted to believe. And he wrestles with it. He feels it. He doesn't gloss over it. He doesn't try to, he doesn't try to stuff it away and not deal with it. He looks at it. And then he starts the jettisoning process by telling himself the truth. First, he tells himself the truth about God and God's relationship to him. He says, God is my light. God is my truth. He's a faithful leader. He will bring me to safety and he'll bring me to the joy of his home and the exceedingly great joy. And then he goes on from there, not just telling him the truth about who God is, but then he tells the truth about who he is. And he says, I am a worshiper. I'm not only worthy of God coming to me and working on my half, but I am fully expectant of God's help. And he doesn't stop there. He, st- he puts this in context. You see, a lot of times this stuff that we carry around in our heart isn't in context. It happened many years ago. But Paul puts his emotions in, in, in context and he says they're not permanent. He says this despair is real. I feel this despair. This is what I feel like. But he says I shall not always be there. I shall once again praise Him and experience who He is, this exceedingly great joy. I will not be stuck here because God is this to me. He is exceeding great joy and therefore He's able to chuck it and leave that weight in the past. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 says this, forget what happened in the past. And don't dwell on events from long ago because I'm going to do a new thing. The starting point of joy is actually learning the habit of letting go of the past and dealing with it appropriately. Not ignoring it. Not stuffing it under this line where it's unsafe to go there and we, we avoid it. But actually looking at it and dealing with it. All the grief, all the grudges, all the guilt. But joy is not just found from dealing with our past. We also have to face the other end of the spectrum and that is the spectrum of the future. And Paul speaks to that because he says we can easily get a big weight on that too and force this line down to live in this narrow emotional range. And he speaks to that worry, that sense of worry. We must omit All worries about the future, which is the O. You can't be joyful and worried at the same time. Jesus in Matthew 6 dedicates much of the chapter to actually dealing with this concept of worry. And he says, don't worry about tomorrow, about the future. Live each day in the present. Live fully, live wholeheartedly here in the present. Don't worry about tomorrow, for each day has enough trouble of its own. Worry only makes things worse. Worry doesn't change anything. It just makes the issues bigger. It turns molehills into mountains. We can't change the past. We already know that. And we can't change the future. So Paul says to us in Philippians 4 6, he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all he is done paul's path to joy is forgetting both the past and the present and the past and the future and instead learning to live in fully in the present that's challenging that's hard to do especially because when we live in this this narrow emotional range and if we've been there for any time we usually spend most of our time in here escaping from the realities of this and that, trying not to have to pay attention so we spend time escaping from those rather than dealing with them. Or, or we just choose to live life so driven to go into the future that we work so hard we don't have any time to think about it. And instead, Paul's saying here, slow down, learn the habits, pray over the future. Pay attention to these weights. Pay attention to this stuff. Don't gloss over it pray about it. Leave the cares at Jesus' feet and then thank him by focusing on who he is, the God who provides graciously and abundantly, the God who is of exceeding great joy. And you see, here's the interesting thing. Paul, at the time of writing of Philippians, he's in Rome. He'd always wanted to go to Rome. It had always been one of his major destinations. And if he had his way going to Rome, he would have been probably renting the Colosseum and having a Billy Graham-type crusade and seeing tens of thousands of people come to Christ and turn the whole Roman Empire upside down for the good in what he did. But as we see Paul writing this letter about joy and how to find joy, we see Paul, this, this driven man for the purposes of God, restrained in chains, under 24-hour guard by the Praetorian Guard. We see him abandoned by many of his friends who are saying, Paul, you aren't even of God anymore. God's judging you because you were in prison and and all sorts of accusations going on. This guy has had everything taken away from him. But they can't take away Paul's connection to God. And the third one, part of joy, is, is Paul learned to be yoked to God and see things from his perspective see the view of life from god's perspective we see it in philippians 1 it says for me paul's saying this he says he says i'm in jail i may die but he says for me to live as christ to die is gain if i am to go on living in the body this will mean fruitful labor for for me yet what shall i choose And he says i don't know and that I, I don't know is, is just a reflection, it's, a, it's an exclamation, it's a happy thing he's saying. He says, I, I don't know, I don't know the answer of what's going to happen. And all that shows is he's left his stuff in the past and he's left his worries at God. And, and even though he's in chains, he's living this wholehearted life, experiencing the abundance of everything in the present with God at the moment. That sounds like freedom from worry to me, doesn't it? The definition of joy that I think you could glean from these Bible verses is joy is that great feeling you get when you feel alive about living in the present, rejoicing in what God's doing right now at this moment, that warm pleasure associated with people around you who, who you get to enjoy the beauty and the growth and the fulfillment of the moment. We, we have nostalgia about the past. We have dreams about the future. But joy is this thing about learning to live in the present today now and the yoke in Paul's in Paul's idea if we were to use the yoke symbol it connotes this connection to purpose this he, he's got even though he's in the prison and he can't do much he still has this expectation that he's going to be fruitful for God God's going to do good things and meaningful impact through him even though he's in prison right now and he lives life that way but in the context, this this idea of this connection to God, this being yoked to God, we also see that, that we also need to learn to see things the way God sees them. No, no go with me for a minute. If you know, you know what a yoke is. It ties two animals together. And think about you being being yoked with God, and you're you're plowing this field if you're a farmer, and you and you're, you have a choice. You, you can either see all the all the hard dirt and the and the sod before you, and the stumps and the rocks, or, or or you can see like Paul sees where he says, if I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. We can see the barriers or we can, or we can have the discipline of focusing on what God is going to do. Paul, this, this driven man, restrained from doing everything he'd ever hoped to do in life. He gives us this final thought. He says in Philippians 4, 8, he says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise and where are we going to get a list like that are we going to get it from the talk shows on tv are we going to get it from talk radio or maybe a little bit probably not are we going to get it from the blogs we read or from the Facebook posts we see or the, or the magazines and the beauty magazines and the sports magazines? Are we going to get all the admirable, pure, lovely things? No, the things that make the news media half the time are the ugly things of life, the controversial things of life. When facing difficulty, do you focus, fix your thoughts on this God who loves you, who's there for you? This God who is the restorer of wholeness and healing to your life. This God who is the all-powerful God who is standing ready to act on your behalf. This God who is a shepherd who is willing to care for you and and gently lead you through the difficult times to the places of replenishing and, 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 and rest. Do we look at God's Word and read it as though He is abundantly giving us joy through it, or do we look at it as commands and things we need to live up to and demanding? Do we spend time transforming our minds, our thinking, to focus on the good God is doing? Or, or do we spend our time looking at the pain of the past and the worries of the future instead of living in the moment and seeing what God is doing because God still hasn't had an opportunity to answer these things. No, it's, you know, do we do we see the good in our children? Or, or do we just see the growth points? Do we see the good in our marriage? Or do we just see the fights and the disappointments? It's not that we ignore the difficulties. If you're yoked to God, you're going through that same field. You're seeing the rocks. You're seeing the stumps. We don't ignore those things. But Paul and the Psalms describe for us this this scale, in a sense, that, that goes on in our mind of, of, of our thoughts. And, and it's so easy. Life is, is full of negative thoughts. It's so easy to pick up these pebbles in our mind of, of negativity from things going around and worry and disappointment and fear and, 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 and rejection. And if we spend too much time on those things, we're bound to end up depressed. Depressed. And this isn't positive thinking. This isn't positive confession we're talking about. This is the discipline of focus. Seeing God for who he is in the everyday aspects of our life. Living and fully experiencing the present right where I am, right now. You know, I've been wrestling with this for myself because I've, I've, I've realized that I still, in my life, am living in too narrow of a range that there's, that there's, I'm not living wholehearted like I did. And maybe I'll never be the excitable guy who gets up and dances around the stage. You'd love to see that, wouldn't you? Yeah. But, you know, for me, it's causing me to wrestle with my view of God. And we've asked this question many times, and we'll ask it many times more. When you think of God, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? And we've said repeatedly, what comes to your mind to that question is the most important thing in all of your life because it will define and affect everything else. And I've told you before, and by way of testimony, that for me, when you ask me that question, immediately the first thing that pops to my mind is faithfulness. God is faithful. And I could tell you, and I've told you some of the story of, of how God through challenging times and good times and times when I was doing well and times when I was messing up, God was always faithful to bring success, bring health, bring goodness to my life. And, and I could tell you all that stuff. But the growth process I'm in right now is, is actually exposing that for me, there's this, there's this negative tinged side of faithfulness when I look at God. There's this side of me looking at God that says faithfulness, yeah, but that means i got to tough it out. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. And instead, I think God wants to bring to me, and I think he wants to bring to each of us, that his faithfulness is mixed with huge joy. He wants us to experience the joy in the midst of the difficulties and in the resolution of the difficulties. Joy in the Bible is referred to as the strength of God. And I think what that means for us in, in even looking at this topic today is it's, it's like a warrior or it's like, a, it's like a, a top athlete. We have to contend for joy. We have to have these habits of, of, of jettisoning stuff. We have to have these habits of omitting the worries from our life and leaving them with Jesus' feet. We have to, we have, to have these habits of staying yoked with God and, and learning to discipline ourselves to think and see things through God's eyes. And the expectation of his thing, it's just like, it's just like a warrior, or an athlete, in training. It's their training habits that actually make them great. And you know, if you're out of work, what that means is rejoicing in the provision you've got today. If you're lonely, it means rejoicing in the, in the good happiness and smile you can bring to one or two or three people today. If you're pain in pain or you're sick, it's it's rejoicing in the in the care and the kindness of people around you. Paul's instruction to us is found in the very nature of God, and who God is. And he says this in Philippians four four. He says, "Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice." This is so important to you. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice this week. Would you daily, would you hourly stop, look, and ponder this aspect of God like you would if you were on vacation at a beautiful mountain lake? ponder this and take time to to remember and regain some of that childlikeness of just, you know, you remember the days when you were a kid and you just walked out and it was a beautiful sunny day and you just felt full of energy and full of life? Do you remember those times? Can you remember that joy of being so pleased to be in the moment? Do you remember what it was like to rejoice and dance when something good happened, even if it was meaningless? I remember, I remember as a kid growing up rejoicing if I, if I made a wastebasket, basket, you know, and just going, yeah, I couldn't believe I made that. You know, can you remember those moments of rejoicing, those moments of uninhibited joy? And can you ponder those? And every time you pray and close your eyes. We've talked about meditation and led you on some meditation exercises a few weeks back. Can you picture Jesus smiling? Or maybe laughing with you? Can you picture him inviting you like maybe this little video clip will, will show you. Can, you? can you picture him that way? Can you picture his face looking at you that way? No matter where you're at inviting you saying, come on, I've got joy for you. Can you see the twinkle in his eye as he's got this surprise for you around the corner that you're going to get to experience his goodness and his joy? The Bible tells us that God is a God of exceedingly great joy. Let's rejoice in Him. Let's rejoice in a God of exceeding great joy, but there's three applications, three habits. Will you look at the stuff in the past, experience the pain of it, and then jettison it? I'll give you some things in the, after the message this week that will help you do that. Will you look at the future... And learn the habit of giving the future to God and your worries and laying at them at His feet. And will you learn the habit of learning to look now in the present at the beauty and the goodness of God? I think we're going to just see God all over us and all over this place. And we're going to experience exceeding great joy. And it's going to result in so many amazing things of God in your life and in our life as a church. God bless you. If you're here and you would love somebody to pray for you, we would love to do that. There'll be a few people around here. They'll be standing down here. Just grab anybody standing down here. or Grab a friend. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week. God bless.